I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode has been sponsored by Bookhampton. As the premier independent bookstore in the Hamptons, Bookhampton has a highly curated selection of books for readers of all ages, unique one-of-a-kind gifts, and exciting author events. Browse their fabulous staff suggestions online at bookhampton.com. I'm excited to be here today with Sarah Bliss. Sarah is a New York Times bestselling author and a brand advisor. She's the author of 11 books, which is amazing, including her upcoming nonfiction work, Take the Leap, Change Your Career, Change Your Life. She co-wrote three books with makeup guru Bobby Brown, who's like my favorite makeup person ever, and that's like all I wear. <laughs> a former senior writer and editor for Yahoo, she has written for the Wall Street Journal, Esquire, Town and Country, Oprah and Travel and Leisure, as well as for many other online publications. She speechwrites, she ghostwrites for CEOs and other high-profile clients. She does branding work. She does everything. She currently lives in New York City with her two children and her husband. Yes. Where she was born and raised. Yes. <laughs> so welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You are an amazingly prolific author. I'm totally impressed with how much you've done. What made you decide at this point in your career to write Take the Leap, and why now? And then tell the listeners a little about what it's about. Please. Well, basically, I've written profiles my entire career. And the one thing that I found that was really fascinating is a lot of the most successful people, it wasn't a linear path. It ended up they had this whole other life beforehand. And to me, that was fascinating and really inspiring, partly because I wasn't really that happy with my own career. I kind of gone into nonfiction as like a little bit of a placeholder with this idea that I was going to be a novelist. And I had written a couple books, and the one that was supposed to be my big breakout book just wasn't. And so... I became everybody's ghostwriter, but at the same time, I was doing all these profiles, and I just thought it was really, there was a lot of takeaway from it, that a lot of these stories, there's a lot of takeaway, and people can definitely, so many people want to do this themselves, so to hear stories of how people did it, that's really the crux of it. And you profiled 60-plus people. Mm -hmm. Um, Some profiles, sometimes they wrote their own essays, like Jill Cardman, for instance. How did you identify that group of people, those 60 people? Well, I wanted it to be that if someone is thinking of making this kind of career career leap, and let's be honest, like everybody is thinking about this at one time or another, that they would find somebody whose story that they would relate with. So I picked kind of the big types of careers that people tend to gravitate towards as second careers. So going into wellness, becoming an entrepreneur, like doing something creative, giving back. And then I found the most inspiring stories from each kind of category. It was a lot, a lot of research, a lot of chasing people down. And I'm really, really thrilled with the stories that we have. When I first put out in the universe that I was doing this book, I got a lot of people telling me that they had friends who left finance to become yoga instructors. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fine. And that's a, a, I have a friendly thing. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people. But I wanted the stories to really, really resonate and be really varied. So the reasons for switching, the hurdles they had to overcome, like I wanted there to be a lot of takeaway for people. And what would you say some of the big lessons that you got out of the book and all the research were? Well, the biggest is 
I mean, you have to prepare. I mean, I, I think, you know, I was going to start the book with a sentence basically saying, like, this isn't a guide to blowing up your life. Because <laughs> I think so many people come up with, you know, hear this idea and they think, all right, yeah, I want to do that. I want to, like, go into my boss's office and, you know, tell him to go to hell and, you know, run off to Belize and, and open a beach bar and, you know, never come back. But the people that are really successful in making these kinds of changes, you know, even if it involves a move to the Caribbean, like, they've done their homework. They've prepared for it. So I think the biggest thing is every single person was prepared in some way. They went back to school. They found a mentor. They worked for free on the side. They took online classes, whatever. You know, they reached out to someone via LinkedIn who had already done it. Whatever it was that they did, they were ultimately prepared. Like, they also didn't go into an interview and say, like, oh, just give me a chance. I can do it. Mm-hmm. They were they were ready. They said, this is this is why, you know, this would be the right thing for me. Was it usually at the same age? Like, is it like the 40-year-old breakdown time to change There's a lot of people in their (laughs) 40s who are doing this, definitely. But there were definitely some younger people as well. I mean, a couple of the people who switched careers actually because they were having mental health issues with Mm -hmm. with their previous careers, that happened a lot in their 20s. Like, there were people who were having, you know, one guy was agoraphobic and other people having terrible panic attacks and depression. And they found that, you know, being outdoors or working with their hands or, you know, whatever it was for them was ultimately kind of healing. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people being in an office nine to five, like just, it just doesn't work for them. So that to me was one of the most interesting takeaways that that was a reason, you know, that people changed. I just, for some reason, I I thought everyone in the book was going to say like, oh, I just wanted to be happier or I wanted to like pursue my passion, but it wasn't all because of that. Hmm. Interesting. Were there people that you really wanted or you had in mind that were great examples of this, but then they said, no, no, I don't want to be in the book for whatever reason? Well, Scott Harrison, I don't know if he has a new book out called Thirst. I think it's it just came out. He's a fascinating guy. He basically was a party promoter and was using a lot of drugs and drinking and being this kind of very different kind of life. And then he kind of had a spiritual awakening and ended up now he started this charity called charity water oh yes Uh i know that Mm -hmm. and i really wanted him in the book but he has his own book so right so just the timing didn't work out i also i stalked aaron maven (laughs) (laughs) i really wanted him in and i sent him an email and right away he said yes and it was right at the time that he was getting a lot of press. For those that don't know, he's a guy that was in the NFL. He left and he became an artist, which was something he actually had done since childhood. And he was teaching art in the Baltimore Public Schools. And he put out this video basically showing his classroom full of kids who did not have heat, were in coats and cold. And he basically said, like, how can kids be learning in these circumstances? So at the time that I was trying to get him in the book. He was getting all this national press attention and Amazon was shipping coats and all these people were offering to fix the heat. So he was really busy. And so he said yes. And then I didn't hear from him for a long time. And I kept emailing him and didn't hear from him. And then I was on the first pass of the book. Most of it had been written. And I was like, I'll just try one more time. <laughs> and he said, yes. So I was thrilled. I think his story is, is really inspiring. And, and it's also really insightful. And this whole dream he had of the NFL and what that would be like. And when he got there, it just, it just wasn't what he thought. And the reality, I think, of some careers versus the dream is something I think that also gets people to, to switch it up. 
Totally. I mean, you don't really know until you do it a lot of the time. I mean, you can ask people and, you know, right. shadow people and right. until you're doing it. Right. I agree. I agree. And that actually was Barbara Corcoran is one of the experts mm-hmm. in the book. I read that. And her advice, I thought, really resonated, which was don't follow your passion. This whole idea of, you know, sometimes your passion doesn't make a good career. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's maybe not something's going to be financially viable. And I also think there are a lot of people who don't even know what their passion is. So yeah. it's so much pressure. Didn't she say she used to deliver flowers every yes. day or something like that? Yeah. Yes, she was obsessed with flowers. And yeah. so she thought this would be the perfect career. And she said she was by herself. She was by herself arranging flowers. She was by herself delivering flowers. And she was lonely. And her skill is she's really a people person. And she kind of realized that in all the careers that she had done well in, she had been with people. I mean, she was a waitress, which she says was like the best preparation for being a salesperson. She ultimately went into real estate, which is, you know, and where she, you know, made her money and found her her biggest success. But she had 23 jobs beforehand. So her advice to everyone is try as many jobs as possible. And that's really where you kind of see what your strengths are and go with what your strengths are. And that's how to find it. I think it helps also taking some of the pressure off. You can have things you enjoy doing. They're like, is this a passion? I don't know. Right. You know, I don't, would I call this a passion? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I had, I worked in advertising. Like I've always loved writing, but I thought maybe psychology, maybe advertising, maybe branding. And then I had this whole thing where I was marketing Pepperidge Farm cookies and it was really fun. I like had, it was great. It was like an account at one of these like internships I had. And I was like, but is this really my passion? Like, like this, this is my passion. Can I even tell people this is my passion? Trying to sell more cookies. So I don't know. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that. I, I really enjoyed it, but I think there are different things your career can do for you. I mean, it doesn't have to fulfill like necessarily at the, especially at the beginning stages, what you long for is your whole being, right? It can right. be something you enjoy or right. one part of your brain that you want to exercise or right. you learn skills and somehow... Hopefully they come together later. I also think it puts like this insane amount of pressure on your career. Yes. And it's a little bit like a relationship, right? So you don't, if you have a healthy relationship, that person isn't going to be giving you all your joy, right? You have to like have it, you know, find happiness yourself and then you come together as whole people, right? That's, I really think that's kind of a similar analogy to what works best for a career Hmm. is like you have to be a happy person, an excited person about what you're doing, willing to take all the bumps in the road, all the hurdles, all the setbacks, and, and there will be them even when you kind of find your quote unquote passion or find what you're meant to do. But this idea that your career has to make you happy all the time is ridiculous. I mean, I sure, you know, you love your career. I love what I do. I am obsessed with being a writer. I can't imagine doing anything else. It's the reason why I've kind of hustled and, you know, done all these branding things and, you know, so many ghostwriting things to kind of stay in this world. But there are times where it's like very humbling. There's a lot of rejection. It can be frustrating. I'm up. I have kids too. So I'm sometimes I'm up until like two in the morning trying to make a deadline. When, you know, maybe I don't love my career so much, but at the same time, I would never do anything else. Mm -hmm. So I think when you take out this idea that your career has to be this, like, you know, passion and make you happy, I think then you can be a little bit more realistic about what you're good at and what you like to do and where you're kind of definitely going to be happiest, but it's not perfect. 
Right. It's still work. It's, it's still work. <laughs> you still have to try really hard. It's still work. Yeah. There's actually a really interesting woman in my book. Her name is Carolyn Waters. She's a, now a librarian at the New York Society Library. Mm-hmm. And she had been in finance forever and had been doing really, really well. She was a consultant, a financial consultant. And she kept getting promoted and promoted. And she knew that she wanted to do something else, but she couldn't figure out what it was. And her work was so intense and busy that she never could kind of figure out what the next move was. And all of a sudden she was like, I'm 20 years into this. I know I want to do something different, but I don't know what that is. So she took six months off. She quit her job. She didn't tell anyone what she was doing. And she did a bunch of volunteer work and internships. And then she volunteered at a library just because she loved to read and loved to be around books. And when she was there, she was like, oh my gosh, this is what I need to be doing. But she says she never would have figured it out while she was working. And she also really, really hated that pressure, that whole passion kind of pressure, because it just didn't make sense for her. And it's so public. Like, it's the first thing that people tend to ask, right? What do you do? Yes. Like, oh gosh, (laughs) now I have to... You know, well, um, I don't know. You want the whole story? Like, do you want to know what I did before 9 a.m. this morning? Or, <laughs> it's always so public. It's like, it is. you know, what they write in your marriage announcement. And she does, you know, like, why yeah. is it so important? I don't know. Yeah. So. Well, also, it's so people really tie it to, like, your identity. And then I think you kind of get wrapped up in this idea that it's easy to get wrapped up in the idea that it is your identity and kind of tied to your self-worth. And, and that's kind of ridiculous. But I think we've all been there because people place so much importance on it. But I think if you're miserable in what you're doing, there might be other options, right? Yes. Like if people yes. are like, oh, but I go, I dread this every day. Like oh, there's, yeah. there's a tipping point, right? Where you're like, no, this it's, it is the job or it is the industry or it is something about it. Like life's too short. Like it's definitely. just figuring out where that line is. Right? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I don't I don't think you should be, I mean, I think you should be realistic about mm-hmm. your job, but I also do not think you should be unhappy and miserable in your job every day because that's really soul-sucking. And then it kind of transfers to, like, other areas of your life and you're maybe, like, you know, grouchier with your kids or your spouse or, or whatever it is. Like, it's not worth it. And the thing about all these stories and what was so inspiring is all of these people came out more fulfilled, happier, Definitely doing, you know, living the lives that they kind of always wanted to live. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, what I realized after reading the book was it's not so much about a career change. I mean, it is. But for most of these people, it was really about changing their lives. Mm. So they wanted to live like a different kind of life. Like they wanted to live a life where they were more adventurous or they wanted to live a life where they felt like they were helping people or doing good in the world. They wanted to live a life where, yeah, they weren't having anxiety attacks, you know, in their office or miserable with their coworkers. And they were able to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I do think being unhappy is a big motivator for a lot of people. And it is something to listen to as long as you're not like pie in the sky thinking your next career is going to be perfect. And, and a lot of these people, you know, they're, they're doing their dream job, but they're working harder and, and longer. Mm-hmm. Some of them are making less money. There is a couple in Anguilla. Mm-hmm. They own a restaurant called Vea, and they are actually working less, making more money, and living in paradise. (laughs) Yeah, sign me up. But uh, it wasn't the case for most people. (laughs) I love Simon Doonan had this really funny quote in your book and said, if writing makes you unhappy and you procrastinate or have to drink scotch in order to get going, (laughs) then try something else. Writing should make you happy. (laughs) I agree. No, it is. And that's a a good quote kind of like, you know, to apply to to anything if you're... um, 
if you're feeling the need to use substances to get through the day, <laughs> like maybe, maybe that's a, big, uh, uh, that's a sign. <laughs> big warning flag. He's interesting too, because he didn't write a word until he was 46. I, and admit, I saw that. I didn't even realize that. I didn't either. And I've interviewed him over the years and, and I know him and I ran into him and I, he asked what I was working on and I told him this book and he said, well, you have to write about me. And I... I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, I didn't write until I was 46. And I was like, all right, I'm so jealous because he has the best voice. I mean, when you read his stuff, you know it's him. Mm -hmm. That's something that writers like spend their careers chasing after is having that kind of signature voice. And he's so witty and so clever and he makes it look so effortless. But for him, it just happened. I mean, he just was working on a book project that was supposed to be really visual. Mm -hmm. And when he wrote the introduction, the editor was like, you need to write more. And then it's became the same where he now, you know, he gets up at five in the morning and he does all these books and he does it in tandem with this career he has at Barney's and and he loves it. And the whole dual career thing, I think, is something that that's an option for some people too. You don't have to give up one thing for another. A lot of people manage to do too. And you said you've written three screenplays and a novel and that <laughs> you're disappointed that those didn't sell prior to... So what are they about, just out of curiosity? Well, even, the, even the abridged version, whatever oh you gosh. want to share. I mean, honestly, I mean, I think there's... there. The first one I wrote was about like three sisters and I have a lot of sisters and I don't even remember what it was about. <laughs> it was not, it was not good. Okay, I mean, at good. the time I took six months off to just write a novel and I was obsessed with it and it wasn't any good. <laughs> to be honest, I know for a fact writing novels, that's just not my skill. I do think there's something with the whole screenplay thing. I was working on a screenplay, which I need to revisit, and this book has kind of inspired me to revisit, about, and it's a similar topic. It's basically about a woman who is everybody's kind of ghost songwriter, and she has three kids, and she's 40, and she suddenly says, you know what, I don't want to be behind the scenes anymore. I want to be the one singing my songs. So it's kind of how she does that. So especially with this book and what I'm writing about, I need to go back to it. And I will, actually. I will. It's not something that I'm going to kind of keep on the shelf. But the novels, yeah, that's it's not happening. I had, and this, I had the same thing. You I, did? I took six months off after business school and wrote a novel. Well, first it was a memoir. Then I, like, changed everything. We wrote it four times. <laughs> it became this, like, convoluted novel and that also didn't sell. Yeah. But I was crushed. Yes, yes. I mean, I yes. it was like soul-sucking, crushed. Absolutely. Public failure. Like the biggest failure of my life. I didn't think I'd ever like pull myself <laughs> up again. I don't know about you, but I... Like, I ran the marathon once, and one of the pieces of advice I got was tell everyone you're running the marathon because then you won't back out. Mm -hmm. So I kind of did the same with my novel, and I told everyone I was writing this novel. Yeah. And then when it didn't work, it was definitely humbling. But That's how, it's like dieting. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, go, I'm trying. I already told you. I'm trying this keto thing. <laughs> Let's see how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't always work to tell people. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't. But, you know, I, I do think it's good to know, you know, what you're good at and what you're not not good at at the mm -hmm. same time. And, you know, I actually am really good. Or, or at different times in life. I mean, like for you, I don't know how long ago it was for you. Like I wrote that almost 15 years ago. Think you changed, right? Your skill set can change. Yeah, ten right? years. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you wrote that book again today, it would be a totally different book. The, not the one about the sisters. Maybe you'd come up with. Well, yeah. anyway, I'm getting off track. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> I don't think I can sit through it again. I, okay. I don't know how novelists do it, actually. 
Yeah, I feel like it's... Anyway. <laughs> so you also do a lot of travel writing. Me and too. this book you did, Hotel Chic at Home, features cool hotels all over the world and how you can make your home feel like more of a hotel and get that vibe and everything, which is such a good idea. Because every time I leave a hotel, I'm like, why is this so great? It's one room. And I just like <laughs> don't want to leave, you know? I know. Is it the sheets? Is it the coffee table? Like, So what is it? What can you do for your home to make it have that same? Well, I think the whole idea behind the book is basically I was writing travel articles and I kind of realized that, you know, hoteliers have kind of figured out, especially boutique Mm -hmm. hotel owners have realized in the past 20 years that that's a way to distinguish themselves from the competition is with design and kind of creating these like magical universes where you like walk in and you feel like really hip or really glamorous or, you know, really sophisticated, whatever it is. And so to me, it's like, find that hotel where you kind of have that feeling or just a picture of it kind of evokes that feeling that you want to create in your own home. And then, you know, crib some of the ideas. I mean, for me, like in my bedroom, there's this hotel in Paris and they have these like kind of inky, dark kind of blue, green, gray walls. And I did that in my own bedroom and I was like always really afraid to like paint a room a dark color and I did it and I've like never slept better is it's like a cave (laughs) it's amazing so you know that's like a super easy idea I mean I did another kind of like paint color blocking thing in my son's room when he turned 12 to like make it more like teenagery and like cooler and it took me an hour and it totally changed the whole space. So I think like because all these hotels have all these like super bold moves that like you aren't finding in like with residential designers, they're like full of inspiration. I think, you know, there's just so many ideas and so many things that you can take away, whether it's like color or fabric or, you know, really cool lighting or what soundtrack or some cocktail that you had, you know, when you were traveling. I mean, you know, we all wanna kind of bring that feeling of being on vacation back home. like. We're all better when we're in a hotel, to be honest. So true. As you mentioned earlier, you do a lot of profile writing. Mm -hmm. And I loved even reading your one about Bobby Brown at home and her home design. Oh, yeah. Like, that was so cool. I never thought about how her home would look, and it would probably reflect her overall aesthetic and everything. What do you think are some of the tips in writing a great profile about somebody? Or, like, what do you think makes a really good profile piece? To me, when people really open up is when you ask them kind of what the challenges have been, like Mm -hmm. what the hurdles are, what the challenges have been, like what the reality was of of kind of getting to the place that they're at. Mm -hmm. I think that that's when people really, uh, I mean, often, unless they're like too media trained, often they'll, they'll really open up, especially with this book or, you know, probably anytime when I'm writing a profile, you know, I always say, look, you know, I'm so excited to talk about your story, but I also really want people to get some sort of like nugget that's going to make them think differently or do things differently or that maybe that they can follow a similar path. And then when people see that telling their story can actually be helpful to other people, Mm -hmm. then I think they're often more inclined to be open. I also, I'm pretty, you know, I'm not a bullshitter. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) I try and like convey that to people that, you know, there's something to be said about like being honest, but I'm also really, I'm not like a gotcha journalist. Like I'm, you know, even with my celebrity profiles, like every once in a while, celebrities have told me things where I knew it was going to make, you know, like page six, but I also, sometimes I even didn't include it because it was like, I knew that they just weren't thinking when they said it. Mm. That's nice of you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, you know, 
I probably would be a more successful celebrity interviewer if I wasn't so nice. <laughs> I feel like you're being so down on yourself. No, you're no. sitting here. I feel like you're like this model of production. You have so many books written and like really good. And this book I just finished was amazing. And I've never been more proud of anything than this book. Honestly, this has been like, I mean, I had the idea ten years ago. I've had it for so long, mm-hmm. and you know, my agent at the time told me it was a magazine article and. But I never gave up on it. And especially, you know, I was at Yahoo writing about, you know, wellness and beauty and doing a ton of profiles. And I kept seeing this theme over and over again. And so I found a new agent and I told her about it and she really got it. And we ended up having like a bidding war over this book. And the night that I sold it, I sat at a restaurant and half an hour into it, My former agent, who I hadn't seen in 10 years, was literally sitting diagonal across from me. Yes, it was this crazy bit of, I don't know what it was. It was not an accident. Karma. It was. Did you go over and tell her what happened? Yeah, I was like, you know, I'm I'm celebrating. I just sold my 11th book. And, uh, you know, I'd only sold one book with her. So I just really enjoyed the moment. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) And so what's coming up next for you? What are you going to work on next? So... I'm all in and promoting this book. This is kind of, you know, I just, you know, part of the reasons why I think I was kind of a behind the scenes person for a long time is I I was never that comfortable promoting myself. I just thought it just seemed so terrifying. Mm -hmm. And the idea of being, you know, telling my story or being on a camera was just so scary to me. And that doesn't help you when you're writing a book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think it was almost like it had to be like hammered home for me Mm -hmm. where I realized like, okay, unless you're really good at promoting your own stuff and really get out there and, you know, feel comfortable calling every editor, every person you ever met that could possibly help with a book, then you kind of shouldn't be writing books. Or publishing them maybe. Yeah. Because writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Publishing them. Exactly. Putting them out in the world. So that's kind of my main focus. I do want to get back to that screenplay. I have an idea for a follow-up to this book that I really want to write. I think there's a lot more stories to be told. And, you know, I definitely don't want this to kind of be the end of this series. I'm also starting to write a lot of career pivot pieces. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to be my niche for a little bit, that and, and travel. I, I just can't give up the travel writing. <laughs> <laughs> great. I mean... Right, you get to go to great places. You do, you do. And that, I mean, that's how I travel. We get to, you know, go to places that maybe we wouldn't go to otherwise. Do you get to bring your kids? I get to bring my kids. I'm writing now. um, I'm a contributor at Family Traveler, so that's been great. One of my editors who is at Travel and Leisure, and she worked with me at Yahoo, Laura Begley-Bloom. She is now heading up that magazine, so I'm writing for her as often as I can, which is great. Excellent. Yeah. And do you have any parting advice to aspiring writers out there? Yes. I think the key is to get your work out there. And I think now you have the ability to do it with the web. I mean, you, you know, whether it's you're writing for, I mean, so many of these content shops, like they just want content. They're not paying people a lot for the online stuff, but that gives you an opportunity. They're hungry. They need people. So that's part of it. Also, you can launch your own website and have people see what kind of writing you do. Like, you know, start a lot of great book deals have come out of blogs. So I think you have the ability to get your work out there, showcase what you want to do before we had to kind of wait. We Mm -hmm. had to wait for like an editor to like take our pitch or like give us an assignment that would like showcase the kind of stuff we wanted to do. Like, 
I started out in design writing, which isn't really what I wanted to do. And I kind of kept, you know, but I really wanted to write like humor and I want to write about, you know, women's issues. And I kept waiting for someone to like give me that opportunity. And it didn't really come. I had to make it for myself. I mean, and that took, you know, a lot of time to do. But now the whole landscape is different. So just do it, really. That's that's really the bottom line is, is whatever it is you want to do is... I think you need to prepare. I think you need to research. I think you need to connect with other people who have done it. I think you need to buy my book. <laughs> Take the leap. But change you your career, change your life by Sarah Bliss. When's it coming out? December something? December December 4th. 4th. December 4th, 2018. Pre-order now. Yes. Holiday gift giving. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, I timed it for that. Oh, there you go. I timed it for that. But I, I did have one thing to say because, you know, I know your blog is called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, but... This is actually the perfect book for a mom because every essayist takes about five minutes to read, and sometimes that's all we have. So I agree. I, I'm a huge fan of short chapters of anything, and this <laughs> yes. is great. And you have images and very visual, not just yes. text. Yeah, so it's really great. You can good. pick and choose. You don't even have to go in order. Exactly. Very uh, easy, fun read. It is with it a is. lot of helpful life advice. Yes. So there you go. Yes. All right. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for coming on. Moms don't have time to read books. It's so fun. This episode has been sponsored by Bookhampton, bookhampton.com. Thanks to Ryan and Steve at Texture Sound for the audio editing and mixing. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Mm-hmm.